This episode of InsureTech Insider is proudly brought to you by Deloitte. They are focused on uniting the bright ideas from InsureTech with large-scale traditional carriers and everything in between, bringing their wealth of industry experience and technology know-how into the mix and helping to drive the pace of change and transform insurance as we know it. Welcome to episode 59 of InsureTech Insider, coming to you live from the 11FS recording studio in Finsbury Avenue. As you can hear, I am not Sarah Kachansky, but Nigel Walsh hosting primary spot today. I've been given full trust from Sarah and the team. So uh, come back soon, because no doubt at the end, the end of this, you'll all be crying out for her. Uh, on today's show, we're taking a look at how the way we get insurance is under major change with new and different players coming onto the market, offering new and easy to purchase products for when you really need them. To talk about this, we're joined by two fantastic guests, James Blackham, CEO and co-founder of Miles. Thank you very much for joining us today. How are you? Very well, thank you. How are you doing? I'm very well. Your first visit, right? It is indeed. My first time on uh, the 11FS podcast. Well, we'll get you back very soon. Can you tell us a bit about Miles and how you go to market? Certainly. So Miles is a provider of pay-by-the-mile car insurance. It is a fully comprehensive annual policy on your own car. And after paying a fixed upfront amount when you start the policy, which covers the car while it's parked, you just pay each month for the exact number of miles that you drive. Quite simple, really. Very straightforward. Uh, we're also joined by a returning guest, Freddie McNamara. How are you? Hello, Nigel. No longer an inter- insurtech insider virgin. <laughs> so you're CEO and founder of Cover. Um, tell us a little bit more about Cover. You've been in the news quite a lot recently, haven't you? Um, on occasion, absolutely. Uh, was that a point? Was that a question? No, no. <laughs> that was a positive thing. You're making lots of good announcements is what I really mean. So tell us more about Cover and how you go to market. How are you different from Buy Miles? So Cover is an app that allows you to buy very flexible insurance through your phone. So uh, you can buy as little as an hour to a month of insurance if you want to borrow somebody's car or if you've got a car that you don't drive very often. Fantastic. You can also buy uh, uh, travel insurance now uh, via the app. And uh, in a few months' time, you'll be able to buy a monthly subscription to all of your insurance. That's pretty impressive. Well, let's let's get into this then. So um, I guess the first question is, what on earth is wrong with the old method of insurance? I can't even believe I'm asking this question. But as we've got two people who have changed it, let's, let's ask you guys, what's wrong with the old method of getting insurance? Why the change now? Who wants to go first? Um, I'm happy to go first. Go for it. <laughs> um, so it's it's incredibly heavily intermediated. So when you when you think about the supply chain for insurance, you've got sort of Google at one end, uh, and then the reinsurers at the other end. But between them, you've got the price comparison websites, brokers, wholesale brokers, mm-hmm. retail brokers. Um, uh, MGAs, insurance companies, and then all glued together with software houses. And this the system works, but it's not the best it could be. And it doesn't uh, it doesn't allow for any flexibility in the system, and it doesn't allow for any new models of selling insurance. It doesn't allow for lots of new data, and it doesn't allow for not lots of different new use cases. Is that on purpose? Do you think is that because there's lots of mouths to feed? or it's kept as complicated as possible to keep others out? Um, Everyone's got their own stack, 
and nobody wants to pull it out and replace it with anything, as as I'm sure you you're aware. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, Aviva Aviva famously spend a hundred million pounds a year maintaining their their software stack. Yeah, yeah. It's very difficult when when you're doing that to say right, okay, blank sheet of paper. What would we build if we were building it now? But for companies like Cover and Buy Miles, it's very easy to say, well, we've got nothing in front of us. What should we build? So, so I guess to, to, to James, I mean, how did you come up with this in the first place? What was it that, that jumped out and said there is a need to change? I think if you talk to customers who buy car insurance and you said to them, who is your car insurer? Most of them probably couldn't even tell you who that was, right? So you've got this product that's highly commoditized and customers just think of it as this is unfair. So I have to pay this arbitrary amount every year. I don't understand how that's calculated. It doesn't really vary on how much I use the car or not. And it's just become this product that really customers don't think is, don't think is fair, don't trust it, don't understand it. I guess... What, is this then being driven by us becoming all more tech savvy? Are we all now the smartphone generation? I don't even say my 75-year-old mother. God, I shouldn't say that. Actually, she doesn't listen, so that's fine. But my mum, with a smartphone, can do all these things online herself. So is that is that the generation that's driving? Is it access to speed and information through that way that's making it different? I think it makes it easier. Um, certainly in terms of the amount of value add that you can give to customers and you can deliver it through a smartphone. And as you say your mum's got a smartphone and can use it and and therefore they can get access to this kind of uh, these kind of policies and this kind of value add that perhaps they couldn't do 5 years ago i think um i think what's different now than what was different uh, uh, 10 years ago is obviously we've got a phone in every pocket or yeah, yeah. most pockets but uh, also the uh, the price comparison websites have basically maxed out the the market share that they can ever possibly get and now their only route to margin increase uh, is by pushing up the price that they're charging the insurers. Mm. And it's got to the extent that the insurers have realized that they can just stick their rates straight on their website at a lower level and uh, and market it directly. And, and that's suddenly getting to a point where it's actually more profitable for them to do that than go through the price comparison websites in some circumstances. Now, um, when we're starting, we can we can do exactly the same thing. I mean, the price comparison is an interesting one. The UK market is very mature in this space. There's obviously a whole host of folks um, opening up worldwide. Gabby's just announced in North America for doing price comparison. I landed in New York a few weeks back, and the first thing I see is a TV advert for a, for a comparison website. And I, for those that us were at podcast, um, Freddie's shaking his head here. I mean, it's just almost bonkers. I think three out of the four adverts I first saw were, were insurance adverts. So all, all of the money that would have gone into improving the product or making it cheaper goes into blasting <laughs> advertising at everyone at every single point. And, and you end up with this zero-sum marketing game rather than actually any innovation. So, 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 I, sorry. so I, the price comparison websites do provide a, a really great service to customers. You, you, get, a, you, get, a, you get a good choice of the the, the products that are out there, but what I think it, they have done is prevent any further innovation since they were since they came to uh, distribution dominance. But they're what twenty years old now. I mean, I, I, nothing has changed in car insurance for twenty years. You still buy an hour of uh, sorry, a year of car insurance, and uh, and then it renews every year. And um, I'm I'm probably old enough, probably the oldest around the table. Um, to realize or remember the yellow pages where you'd go through and make the phone call, and all they did was digitize that process and make it really simple. So I, yeah, exactly. So, is therefore your ambition to disintermediate or provide an alternative channel to the 
comparison sites or are you playing in a space that they can't get to? Um, so I think that uh, the price comparison websites will be entirely replaced over the next decade okay. by new distributors that will provide a comparison service. They will get you on the best rate with the best insurer, but you probably won't see what's going on. It'll just be baked into the service. So dare I say cake, and now Sarah's not here, she can not kill me. But we talk about this whole thing about having ingredients and you just you just want the thing at the end, not the individual pieces, which is almost what you're describing around the services that you get. And we talk about folks like Persia that build it all back in. So are you? isn't this what Risk do as well, our fellow insurtech in the UK, embedding it into BMWs when you buy a BMW or not? Hannah is in the background nodding her head. What do you think? So I think they sell the BMW branded car insurance. Yeah. I don't think they use a comparison site to do it. No, but it's embedded into it. It's almost there by default though, isn't it? It's only there when you buy the car from the dealer. I think that's the the great um, distribution angle that car manufacturers have when they sell their own brand insurance. I mean, we're we're a little bit off topic in terms of um, the motor side, but the comparison site is really interesting. If we're going to disintermediate these, these guys have a massive war chest when it comes to marketing, spend, and everything else. How do we propose, or how would you propose to go after that space? Um, so they, they do have a massive war chest for the for the stuff that the board is approved and uh, is like all, all of these proven channels, but they, they don't actually have much interest in doing anything completely differently. I mean, they are starting to, to, uh, to get off... Uh, uh, get off to the races in terms of getting across to mobile, mm. but um, but uh, based on the size of companies they are, they are still lagging behind quite heavily. And, and lagging behind market expectation, or lagging behind lagging cust- the the market leaders in the, the new distribution. Okay, okay, and I guess then if we get, if we keep moving this the, the, the debate forward. Are, are we then as consumers wanting or expecting more interaction with our insurance companies? And I have this debate time and time again. You mentioned it in your um, o- opening piece. Is this something that you'd like to engage more with your, custom- with your consumers as an insurance company? I think there are opportunities to give customers value add while they have your car insurance product. So if you think about car insurance as being one of the probably the top two most expensive running costs of your car once you own it. The top one being fuel, but fuel will go away probably with electric cars. So car insurance becomes then the most expensive running cost of a car. So at the same time as you're purchasing your car insurance or managing your car insurance, there's a whole load of other value-added things that you can do. So an example of one of the things we do is tell customers if they've driven into the congestion charging zone so they can remember to get... The, uh, or to that pay it before heaven. they get a fine. Yeah, so yeah. It, just a lot, sort of simple things like that that just make owning a car easier. I like it. So simple things that will make a difference to your, de- your daily life that will obviously save you money or do something different. What else? I mean, I'm going to start unpicking this one because this is almost a favourite topic of mine to work out what those things are because almost we're going to get to the stage where it's car as a service, right? Car as a service is definitely uh, a growing, uh, I guess, a growing uh, product. Yeah. Um, I think what we've started to see is some of the initial wave of car as a service providers pull back a little bit from uh, from London. It's, it's, I think it's a little bit harder to do than people have realised. That's a fair point, actually. There's a news article, was it Daimler or BMW both pulled out of multiple cities around the world? Uh, yes, that's right. I think probably went in a little bit too too fast. And I think unless you get a large amount of coverage of cars, it's difficult to make it profitable. Um, but of course, it, it, car insurance is one of the things that, a lot of startups are actually 
in car as a service space yeah, yeah. sort of actually run up against. And so, you know, we see it in, in terms of companies that come to us and say, hey, we are trying to launch this car as a service product or this this product and it can we have car insurance for it? But it's kind of like you're actually in the car insurance business without realizing it. I'm standing on the sidelines of uh, the car as a service uh, um, uh, Please don't say on a scooter. I'm not on a scooter. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like scooters. Welcome to the club. Um, I think it comes down to a cost of capital discussion and in an area of such low interest rates where you can get a car loan at like peanuts then uh, then what's the point in uh, what's the point in joining a car as a service scheme when I can own a car for almost nothing um, I think when we see interest rates go back up again if we see interest rates go back up again please no then it can uh, th- then it will completely change the game uh, in terms of uh, in terms of that sort of service I mean we're digging into a sector obviously both you're both in motor but you know Sarah's talked previously about um, the motor finance bubble that will burst at some point, but the price of a car, the cost of a car, to your point on capital, even leasing the car, it's just ridiculous right now. You, there's some amazing, we've just been going through this process with my wife, there's some amazing deals out there and literally changing daily with now comparison sites, comparing the brokers in the market to work out who's got better deals and it's changing by pounds and pence every single day. So almost the same technology we've got on comparison sites for the individual product of insurance is also being applied to leases and everything else that we then go and buy. Um, how you bundle those back together to a car as a service or mobility as, as a service is going to be quite interesting. The flip side to that, though, is um, the demand piece. If the customer demand isn't there, what what do we end up doing? Is it a UK phenomenon? Is it something that we'll see um, out, outside the shores of the UK going forward? Or is it just because we're so passionate in the UK about owning houses and owning cars for some reason? So I like to think of it as though you you won't actually have a central company that owns the vehicle because the cost of capital is so low that the customer will own the vehicle or a customer will own the vehicle. And then communities of the customer's friends and family will arrange around the, the vehicle uh, to, to borrow it on an ad hoc arranged basis, probably probably managing it with WhatsApp group. I was just about to say WhatsApp group saying, can I borrow the car on Thursday or whatever else? Yeah, and uh, um, Cover is there to provide the insurance. And how would that work in practice? Is that then you turning a driver on and off in a um, uh, utility-type fashion? Do you pre-register the drivers? How does that work if a family of four are all sharing that vehicle? Well, so currently the way it works is mum or dad will buy an annual insurance policy for peanuts yeah um, because because they're in the they're in the right zone for the uh, target zone for the uh, for the carrier for like a viva to, to write it for 300 quid and then every time uh, uh, child one or child two uh, come back from university they'll buy an hour of car insurance with cover and, and off they'll go and that's literally switch on they've got it for the hour and then it off it goes yeah so we report to the the motor insurance database that they're on for that hour we send sell a, an hour of premium we send an hour of premium back to the carrier okay way off topic again Sarah will kill me when she's back fraud is an interesting one in this space it was a really cool article a while back about someone that got stopped for not being on cover potentially not being on um, insurance and by the time the cop or police officer had got out of the car walked the vehicle in front someone with a cool app like cover or anything else um, literally had been able to buy cover there and then how do we get around in situations like that where this on demand world is uh, creating new issues we didn't realise we had elsewhere so um, cover would not be possible if it weren't for the mobile phone. Yeah. 
Um, we use three three elements that we get from the mobile phone. We get the time, uh, we get the uh, we get a photograph of the front of the car, and we get the location. And we're able to triangulate those to understand whether or not somebody had been. So they couldn't have physically got out of the car on the side of a road, got cover, taken the picture. I mean, the, the a number of pictures of policemen's trousers that we have is <laughs> absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> That's going to be a whole different categorization, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, where do we go next then? I mean, um, this has all become really easy. So what is, where, is this something that a large carrier that you mentioned, Aviva, there's loads of others out there. If you look at the top 10, is this something that they're just going to replicate? Why aren't they doing this now? Um, uh, in terms of more flexible insurance? More flexible, flexibility. I mean, there's the pay per hour or there's the model, um, James, that you've described, which is actually a fascinating model that links back to the way we live our lives, right? Is that the, is that the thing that's driving this? And if so, what's stopping the, the top carriers going out to do this day in, day out? I think the top carriers, if you look at them, as we alluded to earlier, they've they've really not changed their product in the last 30 or 40 years. So it's kind of saying, like, why has somebody who's never built anything different from what they do at the moment going to be able to suddenly create this new product that involves being fairer to your customers, interacting with them much more frequently, charging them monthly rather than annually? And it requires a whole load of systems and technology that the big insurers have got no expertise in putting together. So it's not really something that keeps us up at night. And, you, and you've partnered with one of these guys, right? You've partnered with Axis to get a market. Can you share more on that and how that process went? So um, I think we, we spent a long time when we first started at Biomiles going to see insurance companies and saying, hey, this is what we're trying to do. Most of them actually said, have you met Freddie from Cover? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think we were, we were treading you a, know, a, a well-trodden uh, footpath at, at, at the time. And uh, we eventually we, we started working with, with AXA and we, we built up that relationship. But it, it's, actually, uh, it's actually worked really well for us. Um, they're a, a good brand name that people recognize so they know, you know if I have a claim that AXA is, is standing behind the product. And they've been willing to put a foot forward and say, well, we want to do something innovative. But actually... Broadly, when we, especially when we got started, which is you know, going back two, three years, it was a very difficult and different conversation in the market. And, ha- and has it got more difficult or has it got easier in terms of conversations? I speak to a, a lot of the insurtechs both here in the UK and, and abroad, and it feels like, to your point, we're kind of on wave two or wave three. Freddie, you were there. I, remember, I actually remember my very first episode. It was you, me, and Leda that did a session over in Canary Wharf, and it, was, it feels like a lifetime ago. So you've been down this path, you've, you've, you've trod the, the, the pavements. Has it got easier or have the, have the insurers made life any simpler for you to engage? I would say, and I don't, I don't know because not, we're not new in tech anymore, but I, th- I think they've probably got a little bit more sceptical. So where before they were sort of, oh yeah, let's try this or let's, let's do that. I think they've, they've to some extent been there, done it seen how things have played out so i think they're probably still open to new opportunities but i think the number of new opportunities that they look at and the hurdles that they would look at have, have kind of matured along along with the industry really mm. Mm. No, it's really it's really it's really interesting here and I, and I guess that's the thing i hear time and time again is the process for engaging or the ways in which we engage the insurance companies directly whilst everyone will talk to you has seemed doesn't seem as smooth or as slick as it should be or could be going forward no, but I don't think it's anything that these companies have done before. So I think the number of times that companies have been approached with an entirely new proposition for insurance is, is slim. So they're used to having 
a broker come up to them and say, hey, we want to sell your product, but a company to come up and say, well, actually, we're going to create our own product yeah, yeah. and we'd like you to partner with us to do it. I think that was a difficult and new conversation for many insurance companies. So I think they probably have better processes now to deal with that, but the barrier is, is maybe higher than it was before. Because there's so many people in the pavement either ahead of you or behind you. Yeah, and then, you know, they've, they've seen it and they've got a large queue of people behind you. I think they've seen quite a few people turn up uh, with the proposition, they've integrated the proposition and the, the premium hasn't materialised. Yeah, or okay. the premium has materialised, but the claims have also materialised in, in greater number. So it's not just volume of business, it's actually quality of business ultimately. Because at the end of the day, if you're going to measure by the numbers, we need gross written premium at the top end, but we also need the right loss ratios. And if call. you write quarter of a million quid and you lose a million quid. It's not a great business to one. be in. I think one of the things I would say is that car insurance is probably one of the hardest products to get a product off the ground for because the amount of damage that you can do in a single car insurance claim is is in the millions of pounds it's unlimited it's unlimited it's very said so the if you're doing a like a mobile phone insurance or a contents insurance or probably even a travel insurance to some extent you kind of know how bad it can get mm. whereas with car insurance the damage can be significant if you don't do it right. So there's a lot of trust, a lot of processes that you've got to demonstrate. You've got you've got to be really confident about the pricing model, as Freddie said. So ultimately, ultimately, it has to be better for the customer. So it has to be something net new to your point about proposition. So it's something that we haven't done before or couldn't do ourselves and accretive to the business model, to your point, in terms of we're going to improve uh, ratios, written premium, profitability, and so forth. How do you, how do you then as uh, founders create that transparency for them to believe in that in the first place. So when you turn up with your business case and uh, projections or whatever else, how do you give them confidence that this is, in a, to your point, a notoriously hard market to make money in? How do you then give them the insights about what you and your new platforms can provide? It's very, very difficult when you don't have any data. Um, so you have to go much, much harder on stuff like process. So... Um, we, when we went out, we went out with a process that was completely new, um, with high level of KYC, high level level, level of validation. We had um, uh, the My License database had just yeah. been released, and we were the only people talking to it. Um, Says it all, right? <laughs> um, like all of your license data, all of everybody's license data available for free. No one's using it. Great. Um, That's not the case, is it? Um, people are using it now. Okay, good. <laughs> Um, uh, we had you know, photos of vehicles. We had location validation, and you know, once you've once you've stacked a pile all the way to the ceiling of stuff that is just absolutely no-brainer stuff, then th then you can start having a conversation, and the conversation starts out well. We'll double the price. Uh, so we'll support you, but we'll make it hard for you to actually win business in the first place. And we've heard that a few times from a number of your uh, your peers in the industry. I guess the transparency there, though, then also flows back to the customer, right? So what does a customer see in this whole process? How does how does me as an individual buying through a aggregator differ to what either of you would provide? So what you'd see on our website, for example, is you'd see how much you're paying up front, yep. which is how much you're paying to insure the car while it's parked, and then how much per mile. You can estimate how many miles you're driving per year, or we will use... Um, the DVLA's MOT database to figure out how many miles you actually did last year to give you a sort of a helping start. And then you say, well, if you drive that many miles, then this is how much you're going to pay for the year. Wait, hang on. Revelation. Revelation. 
that's almost like the question of what type of locks you have on your front door. No one knows. No one seems to really care. And you're saying, if you've got the MOT data for a car that's three years or older, we can get mileage at year three and at year four. So we never need to ask you. Correct. Yeah, we know how many miles you're doing. So So why are we asking that question still? Very good question. Because we've always asked that question. And (laughs) insurers don't like to change what they've always done. Actually, we put out a, uh, a report last year, which is called Paying More for Driving Less, and it shows that the sort of the lowest premium is obtained by saying you drive 12,000 miles a year. If you say you drive less, then on average, the other car insurers will charge you more. Do you know why that is? I have a good guess, but go on. Uh, it's because, um, uh, it's because uh, insurers know that people don't drive more than 12,000 miles. Um, but if you say that you drive less than 12,000 miles... Uh, they think that you're more likely to be lying to you. And it, uh, and then they assume, they infer that you're lying on other questions as well. Blimey. Talk about trust, reverse trust gone completely wrong. I, I actually was going to say, I thought it was around experience on the road. So if you're doing 12,000 miles, you've got, let's say, 1,000 miles of experience dr- roughly driving per month. Um, but if you drive less than that, you're less experienced and more likely to not know what to do in the situation. Yeah, there are a bunch of things that there are in there that uh, that test whether or not you're probably more likely to be a liar. Yeah, I think the other question is, uh, do you park your car in a garage or not? Nobody parks their car in a garage. So if you say you do, you're a liar. Now, come, this can't be true. We can't be calling 32 million people in the UK liars. Only the, the ones uh, that say they park in a garage. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the, the insurers are effectively in their pricing. So get a quote change whether or not you park in a garage and see if your premium goes up. All right, you've now got me intrigued because, okay, that's really interesting. And I think think with analytics and data these days, back to transparency, we are starting to see the net output of that on the carrier side where it says, actually, Nigel went through this journey. He changed these 17 questions to try and get a lower price. The comparison sites are doing the same thing to work out where potential fraud is starting to be to be picked up back to the it's in his garage linking back to a property database that says this property has no garage how can it be how can it be true so are we better off just not asking at all in the first place and making these assumptions so we've taken the approach of not asking questions where we don't need to know the answer and uh, whether you park your car in a garage or not isn't a question we need to know um all of these questions are just proxies for your behavior Mm -hmm. um uh or proxies for your local risk. Um, and so you can get most of it from a, a, a micro-targeted postcode and uh, a, a, and direct behavior, like observed behavior. But if we're going postcode, aren't we creating bias then in terms of people or anything else? Or are you... Insurance is bias. <laughs> that, is, that is literally what insurance is. <laughs> oh, man, that's a whole different podcast, right? Um, I, I guess if we, if we boil this all down a stage further, back to the point around... Um, our engagement with, with, with insurers, our engagement with customers, do we think people actually want this? And the reason I ask that is Scott Wolchek Trove was on on the show a few weeks back uh, or a few episodes ago and talked about how they shuttered the app entirely and moved to a platform perspective because the desire to turn cover on and off in real time, whilst interesting and was kind of one of the early darlings of what everyone could do with InsureTech and this is what was going to happen, the reality was people weren't doing it or it wasn't a good enough model, whereas the platform that they built to the conversation earlier was actually a really strong, agile, modern platform that could be deployed and they've just done it with one of the, the large banks in the UK on, on homeowners, or sorry, renters. Is it something that you think people actually want or is it appealing to a different demographic based on how we live? 
Um, we sold just under five percent of all UK car insurance policies in December, and I think that that uh, stands up for itself that pe- people do want flexible insurance to borrow borrow each other's vehicles. It's a pretty impressive number, right? And I, I know I know we've had lots of debates online on uh, the five percent. Is it volume or value? I think we're all agreed on volume of policies. We're not selling a billion pounds worth of premium just yet. I think the, the top, the lowest in the top ten was about five forty million in G, GWP. But that said, I think. The, the the point is super valid in terms of the number of people that are going to buy this in a much more flexible way. I agree. Yeah, and that's right. I think for something like car insurance, it's a product you have to have in order to drive the car. It's an enabler of your mobility. So it's an entirely different category to things like insuring your guitar for an hour or so. Do we, do we go a stage further and turn it on and off automatically? So they recognise that Freddie's phone's got into the car, it's connected via Bluetooth to said in-car entertainment system and therefore we know you're driving. Are we going to get to that sort of stage? Super, super difficult in terms of liability if we turn you off at the wrong time. Okay. And you're still driving. What happens if you crash? So it's not coming anytime soon? No. I, I did read about a telematics provider, actually, that was starting to work out which side of the car you were getting in and out of, which would indicate who was driving, i.e. If, if the accelerometers in the phone lent one way or the other, it started to look at the patterns of people getting out of the car on the left-hand side or the right-hand side. What happens if you're getting in a passenger seat? I, I'm, again, I'm, I'm, I'm just... Like, there's re- absolutely no way that we have, uh, like, uh, that you can distribute technology to the car that is cheap enough. Uh, that will be able to track this sort of stuff, unless you have a camera in the car, which then you get into lots of privacy issues. Mm. And, and again, in some countries, I think Germany is a good example, cameras, even outside the cars, are probably banned uh, from memory right now. Whereas in, in the car, you've got much of this sort of stuff looking both outside the vehicle and inside for distracted driving. And there's a whole host of startups in that sort of space, which are quite interesting. Is that one of the value-added services you go with going forward? Because I think even now, back to comparison sites, they start to ask you, do you have a camera or not? I would encourage anybody listening to this podcast to get a dash cam. Uh, the number of claims that we see where it's one person's word against somebody else's, then having a dash cam is really value-add. Uh, I think there were startups that tried to take a view of we'll just be providing you a dash cam and therefore cheaper insurance. But the problem is you also need to make sure a dash cam is working and you're able to obtain the evidence if there is a, an incident. So um, it's it's definitely something that's valuable. It's just a question of do people actually have it and have it working? It feels like evolution to me. I mean, if I go back five, ten years, the cars came with no sat-nav and you'd go out and buy one and then they were getting stolen. So there was the latest claim people were going through. Now they all seem to be default in the car or on the smartphone with Waze or whatever else. And the next thing that's in the car is dash cams. But I just don't see those being touch wood as, as uh, a stolen or acquired as much. But they're again, they're inexpensive. They go from very inexpensive to uh, quite a lot of money. I'm not sure when all this stuff, just get back to your point about embedded driving or uh, motorbills as a service. When does all this become part of the car? So the dash cam is built into the car, the cars outside, of, or the cameras outside are built into the car, insurance is built into the Is that going to be something going forward or is that just called a taxi? I mean, generally a component, new component gets into a vehicle when uh, when it's, somewhere, it's on someone's P&L. And uh, if, if the uh, car company can, uh, the car manufacturing company can justify making, uh, making a margin on it, it, introducing that new piece of equipment, then yes. Um, but, uh, but as long as they don't sell all the insurance and actually very few, uh, very few people buy the insurance offered by the, uh, by the OEM when you, when you purchase, then, uh, then it doesn't make, 
a huge amount of sense for the, that company to put a put a camera in unless they're doing something around you know, machine learning, looking mm. at looking at the road. I, I, I will say that, um, uh, there was an article in the FT I think over Christmas, just after Christmas, that talked about the cost of utility in general, uh, the top ten ut- utilities, and car insurance was the only one that declined. Everything else went up, but car insurance went down over the last ten years, mostly because of an industry-wide initiative around fraud and whiplash and whatever else. So it does show that as an industry, if we get better together, we've got the ability to bring it down further in price. So back to P&L, for me, really, it's almost a way of, actually, if if there's a smarter way to do it, we can start embedding these things in and taking things out, like our cameras and whatever else people put into the vehicles, there's a strong story to tell. I'm conscious we've gone car mad. Let's step away from car for a second, if I may. I know, I know, it's a nervous nervous spot for both of you um is this unique to motor or car or commercial van or whatever else are there other angles that we can apply the same mentality and business models and thinking that you guys have come to market with too and freddie you've already mentioned travel is this the same is it on demand is it utility is it turn on and turn off as you need it what's your what's your thought process on this i mean what's where are you and travel what goes next what goes after for by miles and stuff so we've had a travel in the mar- uh, travel product in the market for the last few months now, and so we're we're starting to really understand what people want from travel insurance, and um, we're starting to work on our next iteration. And it looks like um, pe- people just want it sort of there, always on, and for a very very cheap price. People aren't willing to pay very much for travel insurance. It's we charge about ten pounds for a, a week long skiing holiday, uh, which is uh, which is pretty incredible. So uh, you don't have the same issues when you know. Most most nineteen twenty twenty one year olds are paying a thousand pounds for a car insurance policy. They're not they're not looking to slice and dice this ten pound travel insurance policy. And you see people buy per trip rather than annually. Uh, so a huge number of people do buy per trip. Yeah, um, and that's usually bundled into the the checkout flow of the uh, uh, of the passenger airline uh, or or the uh, or, or the agent, the travel agent. Um, uh, and then a lot of people have uh, uh, travel insurance bundled into their bank accounts. So, um, uh, but they, but they won't really understand what they're covered for. They won't exact. Uh, they won't uh, understand uh, who who they can go with or any of the terms. And actually, getting into that is very difficult. Uh, and so, there's definitely a um, there's a uh, there's a there's a big space for an always on uh, travel insurance uh, subscription product. And I'm just thinking, thinking quietly to myself, and this is this feels like one of the most duplicated policy products out there. To your point, bank account, credit card, perhaps uh, third party service, and then even when my wife was booking a holiday recently, she said, "Oh, I'm not sure if we've got it. Let's just go buy it again because it was to your, almost as cheap to go and get it rather than look at the T's and C's and work out what was there." I went skiing last weekend. I calculated that I have four different travel insurance policies. And and sorry, you provide travel insurance policies for people. Yeah. But just via different bank accounts and different. So, in that instance, who who picks up the bill first? Um, whoever I choose. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to claim on my cover insurance <laughs> policy. Not cover. <laughs> what you don't want to know is that they're all underwritten by the same person. Because ultimately, yeah, there's a small number of people that do travel, and they're all different <laughs> brands or whatever else. But ultimately, it goes back to the same pot, right? What, what about you, James? Where, where next? We uh, firmly focus on cars. I'm, yeah. I'm afraid. Um, Given the name, right? Given the name and given the scale of the the problem out there and the number of vehicles that don't have a buy miles policy yet, so that's our that's our focus. I think um, we've 
we've seen that contents insurance and you know, it hasn't really worked in terms of something that is usage based. And I don't think it really works with things like pet insurance or health insurance. So I think for us, we're just yeah, purely focused on uh, miles. And miles always in vehicle, always in four wheels. Would you go to two wheels? Would you, dare I say, go to scooter? We would not go to scooter. Yes, welcome to the club. So um, I shouldn't say this, should I? We get asked a lot about um, uh, motorbikes. Yep. And um, so one of the challenges that we have with motorbikes is that the premium for motorbikes is already quite low anyway because generally a motorbike is never seen as the one that's caused injury to other people. It's always somebody else caused injury to you as the motorbike um, rider. And yeah, yeah. a lot of people don't really want us to know how many miles they're going in their motorbike or where they're going or how fast they're going. Why? I think I think there's something about the freedom of the road for bikers in particular. So frankly, this is almost back to the utility conversation around I want a water meter or I don't want a water meter. Because the other thing it. about motorbike insurance is that... Uh, it's already priced to assume that you don't drive during winter um, because most, most motorcyclists do not. They just park in the garage. What about Vespers and scooters? I always love seeing Chris Sanderland from Oxbow's annual tweet going, it was a nightmare getting my Vespa scooter insurance this year. Please, someone help me. The thing about motorbikes and scooters is that um, uh, m- most of the motor insurance policy that you're paying for is actually the damage that's being done on average to other people. And the damage that's done to other people via scooters is actually much lower. It's usually the first party injury, which uh, may or may not be actually included in in the policy. Interesting. So there's no firm commitment for me, the view guys, going to motorbikes anytime soon. I mean, we've looked for people who want to sell an hour of motorbike insurance, but uh, nobody's uh, getaway drivers, maybe baby driver view. Not quite the target market. Um, moving on to technology, very quickly. Um, Given the stacks that you guys have created, you've got an engaging capability to go to customer, you're agile. Um, James, you talked, or we actually had from you, uh, you guys last time around open banking. What else can this be applied to going forward? And uh, if I jump out of consumer for a side, is there, is there a point at which I have this debate a lot, and I often lose it, which is why I guess I'm on this side of the microphone, um, around rather than being D2C, are we then going to become a platform play at some point where we display some of the more traditional vendors? Where does the tech stacks take you? I'm always a little bit suspicious of companies that start as B2C and then because they can't quite get B2C to work, they want to go B to B2C. Um, so I don't think it's an avenue that we are going to look at. Um, we are quite happy selling directly to customers and I think that's what we do best. So we're just going to be focused on that in the in the short term. Why are you suspicious? Because I think it's like if, if you can't get your product to work, then you're trying to persuade somebody else to sell your product for you that you haven't got to work. Or you just, the fact that you don't own the distribution in the first place, back to our point about the price comparison sites, maybe you've got a cool way of engaging, but to actually embed it, you need someone with the distribution reach of a compare the market or whoever else is out there. I think the antidote to that is to build a better product that people will just buy regardless of whether or not you have the distribution. If you put it in front of someone, they'll buy it and they'll tell their friends. Yeah, okay. I'm I'm not going to disagree with that in one one iota because I think to James's point earlier, product innovation hasn't really come along um, for God knows how many years. And all of a sudden we're starting to see more and more folks like you guys out there going, why don't you buy policies that match the way that you live and the way you use your vehicles or or equipment? Right, and also the work towards the future as well. So we've talked a little bit about 
people, you know, new car ownership models and things like that, but also how do you incentivize people to use a semi-autonomous mode in their car? And how do you price insurance in a world where you might not own your car, so someone else is insuring the car while it's parked, and then you're just using it on an ad hoc basis? Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm, I mentioned open banking a second ago. You talked about it last time. Can you give us a view of where that goes next? What's going to happen there? Because open banking has been going on for multiple years. I was hearing on the FinTech Insider show a while back about it's now reached a million plus or two million plus. So it's starting to sound like it's getting traction. What are you hoping to do with it? So open banking is really exciting. Um, for us, and I think I said this last week, the insurance fundamentally is just about taking um, premiums from customers to help them manage some risk better and then hopefully paying out as little as possible in terms of claims back to those customers um, and so payments is a, like a, a really really core part of that and if if every time you're taking money off a customer you're paying let's say PayPal 3% of that yeah. that's a large amount of whatever commission you're making from the insurer so payments is really at the heart of what an insure tech or an insurance company is doing and so for us we wanted to get closer to that and to start bringing the open banking stack into our stack. And again, it comes sort of touches on what Freddie was saying earlier in terms of in the insurance stack, you've got a lot of people in the middle between you and the customer. You know, the last piece there is the payment piece. Yeah, yeah. lots of mouths to feed. So this is just one less mouth by taking out some of the equation, right? Yeah, it's one less mouth to feed, which means lower cost for customers. And you're passing that predominantly on or sharing the, sharing the benefit with the customer ultimately? Yeah, exactly right. Um, the other thing that you can do is use it to say identify who a customer is in a different way and you can use it to say well actually the traditional credit score for this customer doesn't look very good but actually they can prove that they pay their car insurance every month so we can take them on whereas previously we might have had to say no very good it's also good to see when you last paid for your car insurance as in scanning how much my, you paid as in scanning my bank account and working out what monthly yeah. payments gone out or, or hourly payments gone out for that yeah. something you guys looked at as well it's not something we've looked at yet. Notice yet, though. Point to you, James. Um, where, where does it go next, guys? You've, this is firmly both for you, UK. Have you looked at other target markets for the sectors that you're the lines that you're in to go, actually, it makes sense to go to Ireland, Germany, Europe? Are we going to go full on into US at some point? Or There's a £30 billion personal lines uh, insurance industry in this country. and uh, And actually going to different countries actually looks a lot like completely new platforms uh, because the insurance regulations differ across across many different countries. So firmly focused in UK, although you've got folks like, uh, was it WeFox announced, sorry, GetSafe and WeFox announcing plans to head to the British shores over the next couple of months and years? I will see how well they fare. I think looking at the insurance landscape, there aren't many UK insurers that have done well in Europe and there aren't many European insurers that have come over and done well in the UK. They've certainly, there are European insurers who have bought their position in the UK but actually growing up a business in, in the UK sort of, so crossing that border is difficult. From our side, I'd say um, never say never. There are some big car insurance markets out in Europe. I, I think it's a perfect segue to wrap this up. Gents, thank you very much for joining us uh, today. Where can our listeners find out more about you, James? You can follow me on Twitter at James by Miles or visit our website bymiles.co.uk. Uh, we're uh, www.cover.com, at cover on Twitter. And if you fancy following me, I'm underscore Freddie Mac. Not giving out about scooters one iota. Uh, and you can find me at Nigel Walsh on Twitter. 
Uh, thanks to all my guests, James and Freddie. As always, you can find the show on Twitter at Instec Insiders, our 11FS LinkedIn page. And if you'd like what you heard this week, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, which you can find on Spotify and your other podcast providers. Also, we're relaunching the 11FS newsletter. We want to give you, the financial services community, the disruptors and the curious thinkers, a snack-sized roundup of the biggest stories of the week. Every Friday, you will receive a summary in our 11FS style, along with interesting blogs and so much more straight to your inbox. If you're not a subscriber, head over to 11fs.com slash newsletter. If you have any suggestions or feedback, please reach out on Twitter or email podcasts at 11fs.com. Thank you for listening. We will have more InsureTech Insider for you soon and see you next time with Sarah in the hot seat.